You are listening to sermon audio from Grace Community Church of Gresham, Oregon. For more information about service times and ways to connect, visit us online at gracecc.net. It is great to be here. I have to remember to use this clicker because I'm a pastor at First Baptist Eugene and we don't have to use clickers. I don't know why. So I'm kind of glad to have it, but I miss them. So it'll be fun for you to be like, oh, you missed a slide. Be like interactive, right, as we go through. This is my wife, Daryl, and this was us during the eclipse, you know, a while ago. I thought it'd be a fun picture to show you. We've been married for 20 years last summer, celebrating 21 coming up. And um, yes, we were missionaries for your church, and we were in South America for 10 years. We were with World Venture, and so I thought I'd kind of play off Carl there. So let me think. I lived in Bolivia with the Bergens and did Christmas and Thanksgiving at their house, and then... um, I also drink water, so I can do that. And then, let me think, who else was up here? Um, oh, oh, Doug and Ruth. So um, I have been with the same mission as Doug and Ruth, and I was mentored by him in seminary, and then um, I flex every day. So <laughs> did I make it through all of them? Okay. So we, we enjoyed what we did, and God moved us to Eugene, where I'm a pastor uh, four years ago. And I like to... Um, tell people that for my kids, this is Naomi, Ben, and Rachel. So they were eighth grade, sixth grade, fourth grade when we moved to Eugene, Oregon, and they are now a junior, a freshman, and eighth grader. I have got two that are taller than me, one that drives, uh, one that has his permit. So anyway, we got lots of stuff going on. That's why they're not here. Um, You can't tell teenagers, sorry, you can't do anything you have planned, all 15 activities for this weekend. Dad's preaching somewhere. So um, they can say hi from Eugene, and you guys can call them if you want. Or if you don't know me, I can just tell you about them. But something that's really interesting, when you grow up in another country, which is what my kids did, they grew up in Bolivia. Um, When you move to the United States, you don't go home. You don't go home. So my wife and I have lived in the United States before. So when God moved us here in 2015 and we landed in Eugene, Oregon, we were returning to a country that we lived in before. But for our kids, they were moving to a country that they referred to as your country. Dad, this is your country. And they would have these really fun insights like, hey, Dad, how come in your country they like to give each other stuff so much that they wrap up junk and give it to each other for Christmas? Why do I have to go to this white elephant gift party? I don't even know what a white elephant is. And I don't know why they give away junk in your country. So um, it's really interesting to hear about uh, your own place where you are from. Um, my, my daughter once told somebody in our church, they walked up to her and they said, how's it like to be home? And she turned to them and she said, well, uh, my home is in Cochabamba, Bolivia. My dad sold it. So you can talk to him about that. So. <laughs> I love my kids, they're very straight talking and um, some great, great kids and I'm a dad of teenagers, I enjoy that, that place very much. When I was in high school, there was a man named Weston Fouché who not only had a really cool name, but he impacted my life deeply, Weston Fouché. I met him when I was a freshman. We were on a winter retreat up at some cabin near Mount Hood that they could put like 50 or 60 high schoolers in. And, and I was in the freshman guys you know, bunkhouse area and Weston Fouché was our leader. And we had a great time. We stayed up to like 1 p.m. that that evening, talking about all kinds of stuff that whatever freshman guys talk about, they really should get, I think God gives them extra grace, extra, extra stars in heaven or something, right? Weston 
poured his life into us that entire weekend. And not just that weekend, he stayed with us for the entire year. I remember we began to band together and we were like, hey, what does it mean to like read your Bible? And he would teach us how to read our Bibles. What does it mean about Jesus? And he would answer our questions. What does it mean about girls? And he would talk to us about that. And whatever it was we needed or wherever we were, Weston got involved in our lives and invested himself in us. He was an incredible man in my life. He stayed with us all through high school, taught us how to pray. As we began to pray, we saw friends come to Christ. Those, those friends, they came to Christ, said, what do we do? He said, form a small group. Where do we meet? At your house. Who will lead it? You will. I'll teach you. And so Weston taught us how to lead a small group and, and how to, how to work, interact with people as they came to Christ and walk through the Bible together. It was an incredible time. It was sad when we left high school and we had to leave that, that environment we had with Weston Fouché. I got an email from Weston just, just a little bit ago, he found me on the internet, looked me up, and wrote me. He said, hi, Dan, hope all's well as you're settled into your life group's pastor role at First Baptist Church. Just this last Sunday, I taught my last message to student ministries, stepped into a new role, missions, care, and connections. Anyway, just want to let you know, it's great to see your face online. Grace and peace, Weston. 27 years, and Weston is still impacting my life for Jesus, for Jesus. You see, sometimes... We get this idea that missions is something way over there. And I get why we think that way. I have lived way over there. But I also know that when we put missions way over there, we miss out on what God is doing right here, and we separate ourselves from the mission what God is doing. And we serve, if you are a follower of Jesus, you serve an extraordinary God. If you are new to this church, I'm going to tell you stories about an extraordinary God. And when we move the mission somewhere way over there, we miss out on a God who is living on mission. And I don't want you to miss out. I don't want you to miss out. This is how I define mission. I say mission is living local and praying global. Mission is living local and praying global. You see, when I was sent out from this church with my wife and our three-year-old and our one-and-a-half-year-old and our baby on the way in 2005, Bolivia was this different place that we didn't know. We knew the Bergens lived there, but we just, we, we didn't have life figured out. It seemed kind of scary and unknown and definitely this global adventure, Right? But can I tell you that in 2006, as we rented an apartment, as we put our kids in preschool, and we figured out the local markets, and we began to buy our fruits and vegetables and all the things that we needed, and then we began to make friends, and, and we found a group of believers that we would gather with on the weekends, and, and we figured out the, the taxi system and the bus system. It was about 2007 when I realized, you know what? Bolivia's local for me now. Now when I pray, Gresham is global. And Bolivia is local. See, your home can change. So it's a really interesting thing as, as, you, as you move. And, and then when God moved us in 2015, it changed again. And, and Eugene became local. And, and we, we still pray global. You see, we can partner with what God is doing by our prayers, by saying, God, what are you doing globally? Keep me aware. Open my eyes. But we invest locally because that's where God places us. Mission is when you live local, you pray global. You say, God, I'm available for what you're doing. I, I choose to say yes to what you are doing. And missionaries, everyone that you saw up here, they're just ordinary people. Ordinary people who say yes to an extraordinary God. Ordinary people say yes to an extraordinary God. See, sometimes we think, well, I, I just want to do something extraordinary. And in the world, and in this world around us, they're like, you should be extraordinary. You should do things that are extraordinary. So in order to that, you have to be extraordinary. I disagree. I, th I think you need to serve a God who's extraordinary. And you partner with him, and it, it's incredible. It's incredible. Because I'm an ordinary guy, and each person up here is an ordinary person. 
but they're saying yes to an extraordinary God. And that's what missionaries do. You see, some missionaries, they serve in their local environment, and some missionaries God calls to cross cultural barriers and jump into other environments. We're going to talk about why God does that. But missionaries are ordinary people who say yes to an extraordinary God. Yes to an extraordinary God. Jesus put mission this way. He said, I came that they might have life and have it more abundantly. So simple is what Jesus said. So simple. What, did Jesus, what was Jesus' mission? I came that you might live the life God called you to live abundantly and forever. And you're not. But that's why I came. To live his life and give his life so that each person who is not living life to the full might eternally. That eternal life would start today, abundantly and forever. Really simple. I came to connect people to the life God gave them to live eternally. Who was Jesus' message for? Peter, one of Jesus' disciples, he put it really clear. Uh, Peter would know. He was taught by Jesus for a number of years. He started the first church. He was the leader of that church, and God moved him all around in starting other churches. And he put it this way. This is how he put the heart of God. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, his promise to give abundant life, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Who was Jesus about? All. Every single person. He was there when they were created. He's still there when they're created. Jesus wants every single person to live in abundant eternal life. That's extraordinary. When I think about that, that just blows my mind. What an incredible thing God wants to do. So how do we join Jesus' mission? That's why I'm here today, to talk to you about that. How do we join Jesus? If you have a Bible, go ahead and open to Luke chapter 19. If you are a young person with a phone, open your phone and turn to Luke chapter 19. If you just want to sit there and read, I'll put it on the screen, and we're going to read the story of Jesus and Zacchaeus in Luke chapter 19 and talk about what Jesus did in this story and how it applies to us in Luke chapter 19. This is the way Luke puts it. It says, he entered Jericho and was passing through and behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus and he was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see those, who, seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. Really interesting the descriptions that Luke uses in this story, right? Zacchaeus was a tax collector and he was rich. He was seeking to see Jesus, but he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and he climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and he said, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and he came down and received him joyfully. And when they had seen it, they all grumbled, for he has gone to be the guest of a man who's a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, half of all my goods I give to the poor, and if I've defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. To seek and to save the lost. Well, I want to walk back through this story and pull out a few things as they apply to our lives. First, let's think. Jesus is walking through a town called Jericho. 
town called Jericho. If, if you've read the Bible before, there's a story earlier in the Bible that talks about Jericho. Jericho is one of the first cities that the people of Israel came into as they walked into this land, right? Do you know, if you've read that story, God does something really interesting in Jericho. He said, you know what? I know you have an army, and I know you're trying, kind of trying to think of how you're going to go into this land, but I'm going to take this city with the band, right? You remember that? He said, here's what, put the band out front, make the band play loud, and the walls will fall down. It makes me think, I wonder if in Jericho, if they had instruments. I'm just wondering. It doesn't say. But if you were like a leader of Jericho, and you knew this was your past, I'd, I think I'd kind of say, no more instruments in this city. Wasn't good in our past. I don't see it in our future. No band, right? No marching band. You know, no symphonic band. No band. Wasn't good, right? So Jesus is walking through the city. He's looking around. Hmm, there's no instruments in this city. Very interesting, right? His eyes are open. He's looking around. And what strikes me is that there's a man who is rich. That means he must have been dressed royally, who was small in stature. Everyone would have known that he was an important person because of his, because of his dressing, but he was small in stature up in a tree, and Jesus talks to him. You know, and here's what surprises me. Jesus was not surprised at all to see a rich man sitting in a tall tree. It doesn't say, and Jesus turned to Peter and said, what's that guy doing in a tree? <laughs> you know, not at all. He turned to Zacchaeus and said, Zacchaeus, come down. I'm coming over to your house today, which is another thing, right? Why did he invite himself over to somebody else's house for dinner? <laughs> Anybody here done that? Hey, I'm coming over to your house today, you know? You're like, I don't know you. You're just preaching here today, you know? <laughs> no, I mean, Jesus turns to him and says, calm down, I'm coming over to your house today because I think Jesus expected that his father was already working. Jesus was walking through Jericho and would, would have been praying in his mind, Father, where are you working today? I know your heart is that all would come to the life that you've given them, and so many people are not connected to the life. There's a kingdom where you are working, and people are learning to live within your kingdom and are experiencing abundant life, but there's so many who are not connected. Who are, you, who are you talking to that is not hearing today that I could talk to with your words? And as Jesus is walking through Jericho, I can just sense that the Spirit would put on him and say, Jesus, there he is. Oh, okay, uh, Zacchaeus, are you? Okay, I, I need to come to your house today. Not surprised at all that his father was already working in a man named Zacchaeus. And I know that the father was working because when Zacchaeus went to his house, which actually in this culture would have been an incredible honor. In this culture, being invited, inviting yourself to someone's house was giving them the highest honor of the city. It, it, it's a culture in the Middle East of high hospitality. So if Jesus to offer his presence to someone else's house is to say, I give you the most honor Will you host me in your home? And Zacchaeus said, yes, I will. And Zacchaeus responds. And we don't know whether Zacchaeus responds right there in that moment because of what Jesus had been saying to the crowd of people that he heard while he's in the tree. Or we don't know if Zacchaeus responds after dinner. We don't know. All we know is that Luke puts down that Zacchaeus responds, Lord, half of everything I have I give to the poor. If I've defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. You see, one life was transformed by Jesus, Zacchaeus. And through that one life, an entire community was transformed. 
One life was transformed, and through that one life, an entire community was transformed. And Jesus wasn't surprised in the least that his father was working. He was expecting it. I, uh, I have three teenage kids, like I told you, and, and I pray for them constantly. Uh, life is super busy when your kids are toddlers, and then it's like cruise control when they're elementary school, and then it gets really busy again when they're teenagers. And you just, the prayer life seems really similar when they're toddlers and when they're teenagers, you know? And just a few months ago, as I was praying for my kids, I was saying, Jesus, will you please? And I have all these requests of what God would do in the lives of my kids. Anybody pray that way? And then it was like Jesus began to talk to me. I don't always sense his voice, but sometimes I do. And when it is, it's, it's, it's this very interesting thing because it, it, it both hurts and helps, right? And so Jesus was like, Dan, what, what are you doing? Are you trying to tell me how to work in the lives of your kids? Like, okay, you want this, you want this, you want this. Do you, do you think that I don't have a plan for your teenagers? Do you think that I'm not moving heaven and earth to do everything possible to draw your teenagers closer and closer to myself? Do you think that I love them somehow less than you do? And I'm somehow less focused on them than you are? And I was like, I guess I do. <laughs> I mean, I, mean I, guess, I, I guess I do. I guess I feel like I kind of need to remind you about these three. And I, I guess I probably don't, don't I? No. No, Jesus said. You don't need to remind me at all. I think about them every day, constantly. So my prayers changed. My prayer changed into, if you're already working in the lives of my kids, God, how are you working today? And how can I join you in what you're doing in my kids? Isn't that a different prayer? God, what are you speaking, and how can I speak those same words? Because I, I, I would love to speak the same words you're already saying, you know, so I can help them hear your voice because I'm saying the same things. God, where are you guiding them? So how can I guide them the same place so that they're not getting confused between what you're doing and what I'm doing? Oh, God, help me to be a, a dad like that. That's the prayer. When I was in college, I went to the University of Oregon, and I got to live at this place, uh, 13th and Kincaid, um, it was right across from the university, and so the, the best part of that is you could wake up and five minutes later you could actually be in class. Um, hopefully you, you know, well, it didn't matter, it was college, but it was right across the street. But this corner was also a very popular college for a very colorful town of Eugene, Oregon, and there were all sorts of people that would gather on this street of Kincaid Street, and there was one man in particular during my freshman year, and um, he called himself the King of Kincaid Street. He dressed kind of like a king. He talked in this deep Baroque kind of like a king. Um, he would address crowds of people if they would gather or yell at them, kind of like, anyway. And as I would be sitting on our porch looking over at Kincaid Street, I would just put it on my mind, God, I wonder if you want to reach the king of Kincaid Street. And so I began to go over there and every day try and have a conversation with the king of Kincaid Street. And it wasn't working well. I would have a conversation, it would end in an argument, or one day I would talk and it seemed like his mind was somewhere else, maybe there was something else influencing it, I don't know. But I kept trying and trying and trying, and one day I was sitting on a bench, and I was looking over the corner, and the king of Kincaid Street was there, and I, I didn't want to go over and talk to him because I was just discouraged. And I just began to pray, dear God, I, just, I want to be used by you. It just doesn't seem to be working. My friend Kai was sitting on the bench right next to me, and we were in a literature class together. And in our literature class, we use the Bible as a textbook. We have to be actually reading through the book of Luke, comparing it to other comparative literature of the time. And so as I'm there discouraged that I can't reach the King of Kincaid Street, my friend Kai begins asking me questions about the book of Luke. And so I, I would be answering her questions, and then I'd be thinking about the King of Kincaid and saying, God, I just, I really want to be used. I just wish I could somehow 
be part of what you were doing. And then Kai would ask me questions about Jesus and I'd answer her and then I'd keep thinking about the King Kincaid. And, and she asked me more questions about Luke and I would answer the questions about Luke and just, I was really trying to figure out how can God use me to reach the King of Kincaid Street? It was literally a few months later when I heard Kai telling her story in our college group about how she came in Christ, to Christ that I realized it was on that bench on that day that God was reaching her and I was trying to reach the king and God was reaching Kai. You see, it doesn't even matter if you aren't totally plugged in and you've got some of the information wrong. If you're willing to say yes, God can still use you. He can still use you. If you're just willing to say, God, please use me. He'll use us even when we don't even know we're being used. Recently, I was at my doctor's office and I was reading a book and it was about the church and racism, which is some very deep political and difficult topics. And I'm sitting there and I'm just reading, waiting for the doctor because they take like 15 minutes to come into the room where you're waiting, you know? And, and when he comes in, he comes in and asks what's, what's going on. I begin to talk to him, but he notices my book. And the book turns into a 10-minute conversation about that, which turns into we've gone to coffee two and three different times. Had the most amazing conversations about God, faith, life, teenagers. If we'll just say yes, God will put people in our lives and we'll be willing to have these amazing conversations with people. And Jesus was not surprised in the least that God led him to a man that was gonna transform an entire community by giving away all of his wealth. You know, I imagine there were probably people in that community who were, who were crying out to God for financial needs that they had, and God met them that day through Zacchaeus. And then they realized that the God who they're praying to does answer prayers, right? Entire community was changed because somehow Zacchaeus let go of what he thought was giving him life because he found a new life, which was whatever Jesus gave him, which is the, last, the, the third thing that stands out to me in the story. Do you realize that Luke never tells us what Jesus said? We have no idea what Jesus said that changed Zacchaeus' life. Was it a look on Jesus' face that, that registered to something that, that was going on? I don't know. I don't know. Was it this big conversation over dinner? I don't know. Because I think the point of the story is not the information. I think the point of the story is the transformation. In fact, I think sometimes, if you're from American culture, we get really hung up on information. Like, you could go home today and go, I got a lot of great information. That was a great sermon. I wrote down, like, three points, and they even, like, rhyme with each other. So now I remember them, you know? But if it doesn't transform your life or change something in your life this week, it didn't matter. And I'm failing as a preacher. Because God is all about transforming our lives, not informing our lives. Information really doesn't change anything. It's transformation when our, when our heart connects to God and we realize, oh my goodness, there's something better and we let go of this and we hold on to this and actually we take a step of change that God goes, yes, that's what I wanted. That's what's good for you. That's walking an abundant life because this story is about transformation, not information. There was a man who experienced something with Jesus and when we get people close to Jesus, there's something that transforms in their life. And that's what we see happens in this story. Zacchaeus was an ordinary man transformed by an extraordinary God. Jesus called it salvation. He said, today salvation has come to this house since he also is the son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. An ordinary man 
who climbed up in a tree to try and see Jesus, encountered the one who, who had words of life that we don't even get to know, but we know that they transformed him. And he took steps to not only in his life, but his whole community got changed because of that day. Because of that day. Isn't that incredible? Zacchaeus, an ordinary man like you and I, God's plan was extraordinary. Weston, an ordinary guy, his plan to change in my life, extraordinary. Kai, an ordinary college gal, sitting on a bench, God's plan of how to reach her, extraordinary. My wife and I, ordinary people, we've been living an extraordinary life because we're saying yes to an extraordinary God. I have the privilege of serving not only in, in a life group's ministry of our church, but I also get to serve over our missions department. I have this map that hangs on my wall. It's a map of our world, and it shows where there are different churches within our world, and there's green spaces and yellow spaces and red spaces, and there's mixes in between, and it's a little bit unclear and blurry, but it's kind of some of our best guess in 2016, three years ago, of where some of those churches are. The green spaces have some healthy churches. That means that in the green spaces, if there's somebody like Zacchaeus who wants to get a look for Jesus, they could go climb on a tree or walk through a door, and they could find a place where they could hear words of life, right? Those are the green spaces. The yellow spaces, there would be some churches, but definitely not enough, and those churches are weak or unhealthy, and so they're not growing. And the red spaces, those are spaces where there are little or no churches, meaning if you were someone like Zacchaeus, there would be nowhere for you to go to get the words of life. You know, nestled within those spaces, I I want us to make sure we get a good picture of it. Even in the green spaces, there are yellow and red pockets. You know, and if you don't believe me, go ask the Bergens about the Nukakmaku. Did I get that right? Nukakmaku. Amazing story of a red pocket in a green zone that God is using the Jesus film to reach. But the, the map makes me stop and pause about this question. I wonder what God's mission map looks like. I wonder what God's mission map looks like. Because I know that God came in the form of Jesus to give his life so that all would have abundant life. I know that God's heart is that all would repent and none would perish. So I know that he must be burdened by the red spaces and the yellow spaces and those in the green spaces who have never walked through church doors and the red pockets and the yellow pockets. I know that God's heart must be burdened And I kind of wonder if God's map doesn't have colors, it has names. I wonder if God has a map and it's filled with names and on that map are, there's this man and he's in this space and it's in this this place called Columbia and he's part of the Nukakmaku people. And if one person would go and just speak my words there, there's a whole community that would be transformed. I've been speaking my words to this man for years and years and years. I'm just looking for one who would go. And I wonder if all over the world God has Zacchaeus people lined out and he's been speaking and talking and preparing and he just wants to send one person to that person to reach a community. I wonder if God has a map and it's filled with names and he's speaking to those names every single day, just like my teenage kids, just like your kids. When I was a middle school pastor, I had a student named John and he was a pastor's kid and and he would come to all, everything that we would do. And every Wednesday night, we had a brilliant ministry. This is what we do. We would get together at 7 o'clock, and we would play silly and stupid games for an hour and 15 minutes. Like ultimate Frisbee, but not with a Frisbee, with a raw chicken, you know? And um, we had hand sanitizer afterwards. It was perfectly safe, you know? The beaks would fall off halfway through the game. It was okay. Um, 
And we would just, hour and 15 minutes, we would do games that were slimy and wet and funny and silly and the middle schoolers loved it. And then at 8.15 promptly, we would stop, we would gather together, I would give a seven minute devotional, something about God, God's word, we would pray and we would send them home. And I went to a baseball game on the weekend and uh, John's parents were there, our pastors of our church. And they came over to me during the baseball game where I was watching John play and, and we were both watching their son and they said, what did you do on Wednesday? And I was like, well, I don't want to tell them about the game because you might not. Um, uh, we had devotional, we talked about God, Jesus, you know. They said, for the first time in our son's life, he's reading his Bible. We've been talking to him for years and years and years and encouraging him and loving him. And, and we know he's a pastor's kid and there's, there's a lot of pressure. And, and, but for some reason on Thursday, he picked up his Bible and started reading it. And he picked up a, a journal and he started writing. What did you do on Wednesday? And I was like, wow, I'm amazing. <laughs> I mean, these parents speaking into their kids for years and years, but this youth pastor in seven minutes can transform the life of a seventh grader. Man, I should be a pastor full time. <laughs> and then I became a, past, uh, a dad of teenagers. You know what I realized? I didn't do anything other than speak the words his parents have been speaking for years and years and years. But for some reason, his parents' words were hard to hear because they were his parents, right? But me, some youth pastor who liked to play games with chickens, was, it was okay for him to hear that. And so in seven minutes, he heard the words have been repeated again and again and again and again. And then I say it, and he begins to live it, and his life begins to transform. Do you know that our God and Father is speaking his words to people every day because he loves them so dearly? Every day he is speaking, and he's giving visions, and he's giving his written word and his spoken word, and his spirit is moving but did you know there's something mystically, spiritually divine about a human who talks to a human about the words of God that makes us go, oh, maybe it's true. And God knows it. God knows that the absolute best way to reach people is to send a person. Is to send a person. If there was any better way, he'd be doing it. That's why he's sending me, you, and everybody to every pocket of every person, even if they live in a green zone, if they are not yet responding to his words, he's sending people to reach people. And that day he sent Jesus to reach Zacchaeus and Zacchaeus reached the community. Zacchaeus reached the community. Our friend Kai would go on to marry a man named Chris and they went on to a school after college where they learned about missions and they would go and they'd spend 10 years in China reaching pockets. And then they would go and they would plant a church in Kentucky, reaching a pocket. And for the last six years, they've been in Turkey, which is in the red area, and they've been reaching a pocket, and they sent us a letter that I wanted to read to you. Just a portion. It's the great news. This is just two months ago, from a red space in Turkey, that the hunger for the word seems to be greatly increasing in our region where there used to be maybe three online requests for Bibles per month, in the last few months there have been 10 times over 30 people responded along with Bible requests. Our team knows of three people who've had dreams of Jesus this month. I'm telling you, God is on the move every day. There was a young man who came to our town and walked to a new church started by a local man and this is what he said. He asked what he needed to do to be saved. 
Our local friend was visiting a woman she hadn't seen in a while. And that woman had a Bible on her table, and she said she'd been reading it with her sister, another friend of ours whom you've prayed for in the past. She ordered a Bible online and another for her friend. This is a red pocket. It's happening. Of course it's happening. God's on the move. Kai and her her Chilean friend, who's married to a Turkish man, prayed together for a woman to be healed, and she was. She can now walk after six months of being lame. There's a foreign religious leader who's in prison for several years asking the wrong questions, and the officials called it blasphemy, but he's recently released and has now found Jesus. He's a man of the vision, and many are interested in what he's saying. That vision is Jesus. When I was a freshman in college, I went on a road trip to go visit our, our buddy Weston. We gathered all those freshman guys together and piled into one of our $500 cars that barely made it, but we drove there and we made it to Weston's church. He'd become a youth pastor. And while we were there visiting him, I remember one of the first things that stood out to me was Weston's age. He looked about 23. And I was 19. And I began to do math backwards and went, wait, I was 15 when I was a freshman. And so I asked, was Weston, how old are you? He said, I'm 23. I said, right. How old were you when, you when you were our leader in college? I was 19. I was like, 19, what were you doing? He said, Dan, I graduated from high school and I didn't have a plan for my life. So I took a few months off and didn't do anything. And then about December, I figured I needed to do something. And so I enrolled in Multnomah Bible College. And in January, I showed up at Multnomah Bible College mid-year. Everyone had started in September, but I was late. So I showed up in January. And there was a guy there, and uh, he helped all the people who were, you know, not knowing what they're supposed to do with their life in January who were showing up move in. And I was there, and, and he said, Weston, um, what are you, you going to do while you're here? And I said, I don't know. And he said, do you want to volunteer at my church? And so I told him, no. <laughs> and so the next Friday, he came by our, our space, and, and, and he said, hey, what are you doing this weekend? And I said, I don't know. And he said, do you want to come volunteer at my church? And I said, No. And so the next weekend, he came by again, and, and it was a Friday afternoon. And he's like, Weston, what are you doing this weekend? Do you, and I said, I don't know. And he said, Weston, do you want to go skiing? Yeah. He goes, great. We'll go pack your bag. I said, okay. He said, we had a youth retreat going on. I need you there two hours. <laughs> so he said, I showed up because I said yes. And there was nobody leading the freshman guys, so they stuck with you guys. And I said, yes, you want to talk to 1 a.m.? And so I did. I said, yes. And then you guys began asking questions about Jesus and about girls, about other things. And we began talking. And then you guys wanted to know how to share with your friends. And so I showed you how to do that. And you wanted to know how to pray, so I showed you how to do that. And people came to Christ. And so then we had to have a Bible study because people came to Christ. I just kept saying yes. And I've been saying yes for all these years. I'm really glad that Weston said yes. Because he was an ordinary guy who said yes to an extraordinary God and my life has changed. And then I could sit on a bench, an ordinary guy, and watch somebody's life that I didn't even know get changed. Who could go to China while I went to South America with my wife and see lives be changed. And now they're in Turkey and writing letters because Jesus is on the move and he's still speaking his message and lives are changed. I really think that following God is the simplest thing. Jesus, what do you want me to do? And saying yes. And saying yes. Which is my question. Do you believe that God is working? Would you be willing to just say, Jesus, where are you working this week? 
Just, just show me where you work. Is there somebody in a tree this week? I'll invite myself to their house for dinner if that's what it takes. I, it may be that easy. It's just a question, are you willing to say yes to an extraordinary God? Because it's an extraordinary mission that he's on to reach everybody. And he is talking and talking and talking every day that there's something mystically spiritual when you go to somebody and you speak the very words that they've been hearing from their father. They just didn't know it was him. And they didn't know it was true. What could saying yes look like in your life? It could transform a community through one single person. The value of one. The value of one. Jesus, thank you for reaching out to us that we are so valuable to you. That you would speak your words and you would send another person to speak your words to us so that we would hear that they are true. I know that you're working and that your map is filled, I think your map is filled with names. May you spread the church of grace far across this county, reaching every name that you're calling to yourself, that there would be communities transformed. And would you send not only the missionaries that are out there, would you send people more to join them to keep reaching the pockets that are filled with names by saying yes? Thank you for listening to Sermon Audio from Grace Community Church. For more information about service times and ways to connect, visit us online at gracecc.net.